2 Corinthians 12.10 For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you today for your power, your power which is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, you love to show yourself strong when your people have lost all hope, when there's no way out. That's when you love to show up in big and spectacular ways. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to live in that posture, to not wait until external calamity threatens us, but to live in a constant posture of childlike dependence, embracing our weakness so that your strength can be seen in us. Lord Jesus, we need your strength right now. Open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds to see the truth in your word and give us the strength to live it out for the glory of your name. And we ask all this for all that you've done. Amen. All right, my friends, welcome back to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how every page points us to Jesus, who he is and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, friends, we are going to wrap up the book of 2 Corinthians today, and we're going to look at this third and final theme for our consideration, and that is Paul in 2 Corinthians modeled the truth that God's power is displayed in weakness. Now, as we have mentioned multiple times, there was a period of conflict between Paul and the church at Corinth, but he has found out that after a painful visit and a tearful letter that the church has repented, the church wants to reconcile with Paul, and so that is good news. But Paul has also received word that there's still a minority holding out against Paul's authority and rejecting him. And basically, Paul is rejected because first, he's not as impressive a speaker as the sophists. Remember, the sophists are these traveling orators who impress with their eloquence and their cleverness. They impress with their great clothes and their great connections and their great physical appearance. And Paul externally is nowhere near as impressive. In fact, people say about Paul, His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. That's what Paul says they're saying about him, 2 Corinthians 10.10. So they're acknowledging that, yeah, when when Paul has a pen in his hand, he's mighty. But when he's here, I mean, he's just kind of boring, not very impressive looking. His speech just kind of meanders all over the place. Eh, he's not our favorite. They also are rejecting Paul because he lacks letters of recommendation. Remember, the sophists would travel around with letters of recommendation from other sophists, from other celebrities of their day, testifying to how great this person is and how you should listen to them and you should definitely pay them all the money they're asking for because they're worth every penny. Paul says, I don't have those things. In 2 Corinthians 3, 1, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, do I, Paul, need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And Paul goes on to remind them that the fact that you believe in Jesus, look around the room, you are my letter of recommendation. They also are rejecting Paul because he suffered and struggled in his ministry. Their reasoning is such like, well, Paul, everywhere he goes, he gets driven out of the city. People try and kill him. People reject him. He's beaten. He's been tortured. He's been imprisoned. How can someone who's actually doing the Lord's work suffer like that? You put all this together and it's clear that what Paul's opponents in the church at Corinth are doing is they are boasting, they're relying in, that's what means the Bible says to boast in, to rely in, and they are evaluating things by the flesh, by worldly standards. They're boasting in the flesh, they're boasting and relying in worldly talents and worldly abilities, and they are evaluating godly ministers according to worldly standards. So what Paul does in the last four chapters of the book, right, the first four For the first seven chapters of the book, that is, 
Paul is sort of going back over the history between him and the church, just sort of digging in deep in this reconciled relationship that they have and celebrating. Chapters 8 and 9, Paul turns and begins to speak to them again about the offering they're to take up for the saints in Jerusalem. But the last four chapters of the book, Paul pivots and he speaks directly to the people who are still rejecting his authority. And what Paul does in this brilliant turn of phrase here is he takes the things they're boasting on and he turns the whole idea of boasting on its head. I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 30. Paul says this, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? The false teachers you love so much? Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And you you could almost expect them to lean in like, oh, how are you better? Like, what makes you better? And so Paul turns and says, let me give you the resume of a true servant of Christ. Beginning in verse 23, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So Paul says, this is what I boast in. This is my resume. I suffer for Jesus. This is authentic ministry. Those who will suffer for Christ in danger, suffering, caring for others. This is authentic ministry. It's not about fancy letters on fancy letterhead. It's not about your resume. It's not about how impressive you are, your Instagram followers. It's about faithfulness to Jesus, going where your Lord tells you to go. So Paul closes by saying, if I must boast, if you're forcing me to boast, I want to boast of the things that show my weakness. And that leads us into 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just an absolutely magnificent chapter where Paul gives this beautiful picture of what it means to boast in weakness. I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now in verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And as is going to become clear, Paul is speaking of himself without using his name. It seems that Paul was granted some kind of heavenly vision, very similar to what John records for us in Revelation. It says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Paul says, I don't know if it was just a spiritual thing or if God took me up there in the, in the flesh. I don't know. And he heard things that cannot be said, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, wink, wink, me, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. So Paul says, Guys, if I actually did brag, if I actually did boast about the things that I've done and the things that I have seen and heard, I would actually have grounds for boasting, but I'm not going to do it. Paul says, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Here, Paul forgets that he's not supposed to be saying that it's him who had these revelations, I guess. He says, to keep him from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh 
a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, let me just pause right there. Here's what I love about this. Does Satan want Paul or any other child of God to not become conceited? No, of course not. He wants Paul to become conceited. But look what Paul said. The the superintending purpose of God is what wins out. The purpose from Satan's perspective was to harass Paul. He wanted to get in Paul's way. He wanted to trip Paul up as Paul is spraying the gospel all over the world. Satan thinks, I'm going to trip this guy up. But the superintending purpose of God is in verse 7, to keep Paul from becoming conceited. So God, in his infinite love for Paul, allowed Paul to suffer. And here we see this beautiful mixture of the sovereignty of God and the free choices of moral agents like Satan and like Paul. And there's a mystery here to this, but we can see that what wins out is God's purposes, as always. It says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, if that's true, and it is, therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul wants you to hear, what he wants me to hear, is that God's power is perfected in human weakness. As the saying goes, guys, human weakness is not a bug, it's a feature. Human weakness is not a hindrance to God's plan. Human weakness is how God's plan is going to be accomplished. God wants you. Well, he doesn't want you to be weak. You are weak whether he wants it or not. God wants you to acknowledge your weakness. He wants you to own your weakness. He wants you to realize that you are a little child and you need your father. And he wants you to cry out for help. Help you will always receive. Always. The question we have to ask ourselves, friends, as we do the work of the Lord is, do we want to be as strong as we can be? Or do we want to be as strong as God can be? And I think we know the answer to that question, or I hope we know the answer to that question. But one more thing about this idea of the thorn. I thank God for unanswered questions. People have been wondering for 2,000 years, what was this thorn? Was it a physical ailment? Was it some kind of spiritual battle that Paul was struggling with? All sorts of theories have been offered. No one really knows. I love the ambiguity. Because if Paul said the thorn was a physical ailment, like let's say he said uh, the thorn, which was, you know, my bad eyesight, then people who had bad hearing or arthritis or some other ailment would be tempted to read that and think, ah, I guess God's power is sufficient for people with bad eyes, but not me. I've got arthritis. Or if Paul said a thorn was given me in the flesh, a battle with lust, people who are struggling with anger might say, ah, I guess God's power is sufficient for lust, but not my anger or my fear or my jealousy. No, whatever your thorn is, whether it's a self-inflicted thorn, whether it's a physical ailment that you did not choose, it passes through the loving hands of your father and it is given to you to open your eyes in God's mercy. He wants you to see your weakness. God forbid that we go through our entire life and not realize our weakness in God's mercy, just like Paul, to keep you from becoming conceited, to keep me from becoming conceited. We have been given weaknesses. Now, Satan may intend these, the world may intend these to harass me, but God intends them to open your eyes to your need for him and his all-sufficient grace and power. 
And this is what Paul realized. And this is what he wants the people in Corinth to realize. That his weakness as a minister of Jesus is not a bug, it's a feature. It's the proof of Paul's apostleship. Paul's sufferings is evidence that he is a genuine apostle of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12.10, For the sake of Christ, Paul says, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul has taken the world standard for honor and strength, and he has turned it on its head. Because Paul's opponents, the sophists out there, and his adversaries within the church, in their emphasis on human strength, they've nullified the grace of God. Friends, if we do not open our hands and release our imaginary grip on the steering wheel of our life, if we do not raise our hands in acknowledgement of our weakness, we do not get the full experience of the grace of God that God wants us to have. God uses us in our weaknesses rather than our strength because he wants you to realize and he wants everyone around you to realize it's God who gives the victory. It's God who gets the glory. So let's not run from our weaknesses, my friends. Let's acknowledge the weakness that we have and let's cry out to God for grace and mercy because he will always be sufficient for our every need. So friends, that brings us to the end here of our examination of 2 Corinthians. The next time we come together, Lord willing, we'll begin an examination of 1 Timothy and Titus. But for now, take up and read. God bless. God bless.